listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Yes, indeed, it is the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw, your guitar scientist with over 20 years of experience building and repairing guitars. This is a podcast about guitar repair, guitar building, guitar news, guitar science, and guitar opinions. Sitting beside me is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. This is a question and answer episode where we will respond to listener-submitted emails. I will read the questions and Eric will try to answer them. We have a lot to get through this episode, and I don't know if you can tell from my voice, but I'm a little under the weather. You sound like George Clooney when you're sick. That's not really a compliment, (laughs) I don't think. I thought you were going to say James Earl Jones or something cool. Sorry. So let's get right to some questions, shall we? Eric and Melissa, hello, this is Micah from Nebraska, calling about the Gibson Moldy guitar that I just heard you talk about. Oh, yeah. It brought to mind an episode of Ka Talk. I don't know if you ever heard of that radio oh, program. Yeah. Of course. And the some some lady had parked a car with the windows down in Florida or something. Anyways has a whole bunch of mold in the car when she comes back to it, calls into the show, asks these guys, click and clack, what should she do with this moldy car? And, yes, sun, like you said about the guitar case, sunlight for sure, and bleach or borax with water there saying you could spray down everything, like everything. The problem is the guitar's wood. You don't want to get it wet, or at least that wet. I was thinking you could wipe it down with bleach or whatever borax is, something to kill the mold. But also, I sometimes finish guitars with a UV curable finish, um, and they're a pretty big UV light, but you can get little ones, and you might be able to find somebody, maybe even a dentist, or a fingernail salon that uses either, I mean, the dentist does fillings with UV curable filling, or I've heard of fingernail polish that these salons are using UV lights and also that these ladies are getting skin cancer on their fingers, <laughs> which is another story. But you could befriend a nail salon who has a UV light system that you could put in your guitar and the UV light 
would uh, maybe do some good to that mold or do some bad to it, which would be good. Anyways, hope that helps. And uh, I don't know what car tech episode it was, but uh, that show is great. Keep up the good work. See ya. Yeah. Well, it's it's a thought. I still, I just don't know. I'm just at a loss on the moldy guitar. Yeah. It's one of those things that, you know, I, I'm not a mold, a mold specialist, so I just don't know. But thank you so much for the suggestion, uh, Michael from Nebraska there. I think it's Micah. Oh, was it Micah? Yeah. Oh, I'm here on Google Translate said it's Michael. Oh. But they're wrong, apparently. I don't know. Maybe they're right. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Hey, Eric, this is Mike in Chicago. I uh, just listened to your last podcast, and you had a question about string trees, which made me think of a question for you. Um, what's your take on these tuner sets that have graduated height posts um, so that the high E string has a very short post compared to the low E string? Um, those are marketed as a way to eliminate the string tree. Um, I've tried those on a couple guitars, and it's been my experience that the angle over the nut is improved slightly on those high strings, but not nearly by the same factor that a string tree would do it. And on both the guitars that I have those tuners on, I just put the string trees back on because the angle over the over the nut on the high strings was not enough. The tone kind of stunk. Sometimes the string would even pop out of the nut when I would bend down there on the lower frets. And um, I don't know, am I missing something with these with these graduated height post tuners? Or is that is my take on it kind of a, you know, uh, the common one. So just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Thanks for everything. Bye. Yes, thank you. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, I've kind of had the same experience, you know, the the graduated uh, heights on those tuners. It it does change the height just a little bit, but boy, it's just slight. I mean, it's just tiny, just a tiny, tiny bit. So, yeah, your mileage may vary, but I didn't really find it to be helpful. Uh, but I... I'm not one of these string tree haters. You know, there's particular fender guys who just cannot stand the string tree, and I've never been in that camp, so I've never needed, never felt like I needed the graduated uh, height staggered uh, tuner set. But for somebody who hates string trees and just wants a little bit more angle behind the nut there, I guess it, it might help you out. But yeah, I had the same experience that Mike did. It, it. I just, I, I wasn't blown away by, <laughs> by anything there. Cool. Thanks, thanks, Mike. Hi, Eric and Mel. Uh, this is Idaho Joe in Denver. Howdy, brother. Via Philadelphia. Yes, the itinerant guitar nerd. Um, and uh, I've got a question about a really awesome 1973 Les Paul Custom that I bought. Um, but first, thank you so much for reading my very lengthy uh, guitar show horror story on the Halloween episode. Uh, but anyway, I, I have a question for, for each of you. Um, uh, Eric, this uh, 1973 Les Paul Custom is the, the filthiest guitar I've ever seen. It has a thick, or had a thick, smoky, sticky creosote coating on it from maybe 45 years of bars or a house fire or something. I don't know. Uh, and I spent about eight hours over several days cleaning this thing off, uh, and um, and uh, it just, I never really got it all off. Frankly, I just gave up. I stopped. 
Um, I thought it was brown when I bought it, and it's not. It's sunburst. So anyway, um, I ended up using yeah. Simple Green, and I'm curious if there's a product you would have used uh, instead. Um, I did try naphtha, and uh, but it just was taking too long. So is there a product that's safe on a guitar like this that might have cleaned it off faster or better? Uh, maybe I'll take another round at uh, this this guitar, uh, which a buddy of mine named Filthy Phyllis. That's pretty nasty. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so Mel, my question for you is this guitar came with a really cool guitar strap. Um, it's really wide, and it has a, a shiny leather surface on one side, and it's kind of suede on the other. But it smells like Beelzebub's jock strap. Oh, I'm no. sorry, but it is just the nastiest thing. I keep it in a Ziploc bag because it reeks so bad. Uh, it does Is there a product, a leather product that's, that's safe on leather that would get this smell out of this, clean it up somehow so it's usable because I just, I can't stand it. Um, love your advice. Thank you so much for the awesome podcast and I look forward to receiving my shirt and stickers soon. Take care in Idaho. Bye-bye. Right on. Cool. You Thanks. go first. Thanks, Joe. Okay. Uh, so... Yeah, he sent so he sent a picture before and after of this Les Paul that he bought. And did I show it to you? Yeah. Yeah. It really I mean it looked I thought it was a brown Les Paul and I thought, "Oh, that's an interesting finish. I've n- I don't think I've seen that color." Uh kind of a weird, you know, yeah. like smoky brown. And then the next picture is a cherry sunburst. Wow. Yeah. So it looks like you got a lot of it off, which that's great. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I don't know of any better product uh, than what you used. Uh, the, the Simple Green is pretty good stuff. Uh, what I've used in the past is a product called Citrasolve. Uh, C-I-T-R-A-Solve. And uh, it's orange-based. Isn't that a paint stripper, though? Nope. You're thinking of, um, you are Something thinking else. of, yeah, you're thinking of, uh, orange based paint stripper. Okay. So this is different. This is yeah, actually a cleaner. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a cleaner. You can use it diluted or you can use it full strength. It looks like this here. I'm showing Melissa. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I've used that before on really smoky guitars. And in my experience, it has not hurt the lacquer but there's different lacquer formulas so you might want to try it on an inconspicuous part of your guitar first uh because i i can't guarantee that it won't that won't it won't react with the lacquer but i've used it several times on lacquer guitars and it did work great removing smoke and gunk and it didn't damage the lacquer and it kind of has a nice actually really strong orange scent which helps on a smoky guitar because a smoky guitar is man they smell so strong yeah oh yeah they really smoky anything yeah they smell so strong so this the orange scent helps kind of fight that and this citrusolve really does a good job of taking that you know years of accumulated gunk off yeah do you have a answer for his leather question well I have bad news, Joe. Well, it 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 depends on what kind of leather it is. I'd have to see a picture of it. If it's like if it's like 
patent leather, or he said it was shiny on one side and suede on the other. Yeah. If it's veg tan, it might be salvageable. You'd, you'd have to soak it in something, and I don't know what. I don't know. I would probably try a, a bleach solution, um, and that's going to change the color of it a little bit, but uh, it, it might take the smell out. But leather is one of those things that just grabs on. All those little fibers in there just absorb everything, and so once it's smelly, it's hard to get that out of there. I guess he likes the strap enough that he wants to save it. Right. Well, and if it's if it's like a chrome tanned or uh, uh, a non-natural tanned leather, there, there's just nothing that you can do. Yeah, I you have a suggestion. S- okay. If if he likes the strap, but it's not salvageable, take some measurements and take some pictures and have somebody like Melissa remake yeah. it for you. Yeah, that's definitely doable. Definitely. Because, yeah, leather's one of those things. It's like uh, it's like trying to get the smoke smell out of drywall or something. Like It's like trying to take the, the smoke smell out of bacon or jerky. Right. Yeah. That's exactly right, because that's what leather is. Yeah. Well. <laughs> that's exactly. Kind of. Yeah. Uh, it's not exactly bacon. Well, it's pretty close. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean... Send me some pictures. My email is malcoleather at gmail.com. And if I can identify the type of leather from your pictures, maybe I can help you. But it sounds like you got a really bad smelling jockstrap. The citrusolve might work. Maybe. I don't know. See, that's the thing. I don't know. If it's dyed, the dye is just going to wick away. If it's, it, it, it might become splotchy. It might... Just totally get ruined, although it's already ruined, you might as well try. Yeah, you might as well try. If it's that if it's so bad you yeah. have to keep it sealed in a in a ziploc. Yeah. Alrighty, good luck, Joe. <laughs> hey Eric, my name's Brandon Hancock and I'm calling from the cornfields of Indiana. Wow. And I'm ex- so excited to discover your podcast. I've been tinkering around on my own guitars for years and wish I had discovered it sooner. Thanks to the fretboard journal, uh, I and the amp podcast they've been doing. Oh, isn't uh, that great? Over the years, and I've been listening yeah. for like two days, and have listened to like six or seven of the old episodes, and I'm really excited. So Good. I'm participating right Thank out you. of the gate. Um, I'm curious about grounding methods on Stratocasters. I have an old '80s Japanese Strat that has like a single piece of uh, wire or it's a bare wire laid across all three pots. Like it looks like a paperclip. I'm curious, is it a paperclip? Could I use a paperclip, uh, to ground all the backs of all three pots in kind of one network. And I noticed that like other strats that I've had, like I have a Squire classic vibe strat as well that I've been tinkering around with. And it has, you know, little black wires connecting up all the ground network and then on my old Japanese strat as well, the uh, switch is grounded over to that little network as well. And I'm wondering if that's necessary. Do you have to ground the switch? And, yeah, so just talk to us about that a little bit. And that would be interesting to me, best grounding methods for uh, the pots and getting all that wired up and, what to use. Thanks a lot. Keep up the great work. 
Absolutely. Thank you. You're calling directly from a cornfield. Wow. Yeah. Brandon, go in the house. You don't need to be in the cornfield. Is there there must be a pay a payphone out there in the <laughs> in the cornfield. That's cool. That's, think about that. Yeah, that's my next band name is Cornfield Payphone. Payphone in the cornfield. Yep. Brandon, was it? Yep. <clears throat> Can uh, he use a paper clip to ground his guitar? That's that's the real question yeah. here. Uh I don't know. I've never used one. My I don't know if solder will stick to it. I don't know what a paper clip is plated with. So I honestly don't know. I don't use a paper clip. Here's here is the lowdown on strat grounding. If you look at the old schematic for the strat, if you look at if you look at an at an older, you know, USA made Fender strat when a guy named Leo Fender actually owned the company, uh they didn't ground those pots together with wire. The way that everything was grounded was it was all attached to a little metal plate underneath the pit guard. And by being, you know, basically bolted to this metal plate, it was all making ground connection to each other, the pots and the switch. The only thing that's not um, connected there is the jack, so you have to run a ground wire to the jack, of course. Excuse me. <clears throat> so, uh, on an old Strat, they don't use any ground wires. Well, fast forward a few years, and they stopped using a metal plate, and they started using metal foil. And it's just a little flimsier, but they still didn't ground the pots. They, uh, they didn't start doing that until later, and then you'll you'll see it. Sometimes you'll see it, sometimes you don't. It just depends on the guitar. It seems like you see it more often in like the like the Squires and the overseas brands. Uh, they'll run a wire between all the pots. But if there's a shielding, uh, f- if there's shielding foil or a shielding plate on the underside of the pit guard, it really isn't that necessary because you your pots and your switch are all contacting the metal of the shielding plate and so they're all grounded um the problem you run into with that is if one of the nuts on one of your pots comes loose then it can lose ground there and it'll start malfunctioning but uh hopefully you know when someone sees a knob starting to get loose, they they pop the knob off and tighten up the nut. But I can tell you from working on millions of guitars that uh, it seems like nobody ever does that. Like I see I see fenders with loose knobs all the time, and I just think, what, what are you, you're just you're just using this with loose <laughs> knobs? Do you own a wrench? <laughs> What the hell is going on in your house that you know tighten down the knobs uh so so that's that's the deal the the running a wire in between all the pots is kind of a fail safe so that if the pots lose their ground connection with the shielding under the pit guard that they won't malfunction uh and occasionally I've seen it too where they run a 
they run a wire over to the switch. It is a good idea to ground the switch, but again, it's usually grounded just by action of being screwed to the pit guard, which has or should have shielding underneath it. Okay? Uh, different eras of Fender had different shielding. Some Sometimes they had a pit guard shaped piece of metal. It was the entire pit guard. A big sheet of metal. Uh, and other eras, they just have a little triangle piece that sits under the controls. Uh, and then other er- later eras just have foil. But it all acts the same. It's all just shielding. It's all metal. And it's all, you know, works. It all works. So as long as everything's grounded, then you're good to go. And you don't really need to worry about how it's grounded because... It doesn't affect tone, doesn't affect sound, um, and the only thing about it is if you just want to be super extra uh, overzealous about making sure that everything stays grounded, you can run a wire in between everything, but you don't have to as long as, you're, as there's shielding. Cool. Okay. Thanks so much for the call. Uh, I think, did we just play this one? That was it on the yeah, that was it on the calls. So, cool. Uh, let's read some. Uh, let's read some emails, shall we? All right. Letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. Hi, Eric. I am writing in regards to the old Gibson mold question from the last episode. Oh yeah. I spent some time a few years ago with a book restoration specialist. We talked about mold and mildew on valuable old books. His stance was that so long as the climate was good for the old books, which, by the way, is the same climate humidity-wise as is right for high-quality guitars, the mold or mildew would be dormant and would not even move to the books adjacent on the shelf. Love the show, Jackson Corey from Alberta, Canada. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like that's not real. Well, I, you know, I, I, a book restoration specialist would know, though. I mean, he would, that would be the guy to know. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. But guitars aren't books. And so, and nor are they cars or anything else. So, (laughs) uh, you know, let's, I mean, we can compare them to all kinds of things, but, um, uh, you know, I still, if I guess, here's the bottom line. If I bought a guitar and I really liked it and I looked inside and there was a bunch of mold, I would just clean it up and then check on it periodically. There you go. I mean, what would why, you use to clean it up? Why make this a, a federal case? Uh, I would use diluted bleach, um, but you don't want to get the you don't want to get the wood too wet. Just just a quick wipe off and then maybe a, bl- a hair dryer inside there to blow it air blow it out there you go cool hi eric and mel i have a 2012 strat that i love but it is way too shiny it looks more like a car Hmm. is there any way to make it look like a satin finish keep up the excellent work cheers aaron hmm you could let your children borrow it that's pretty good why don't you read the next question oh uh okay 
Hello, Eric. I like to do the more simple maintenance on my guitars myself. Always learning, you know. I have a Martin M36 and the original satin neck is no longer as satin smooth as it once was. I am interested in your thoughts on lightly sanding the neck finish with a wetted fine grit sandpaper like 800, followed by 1500 to restore a smooth satin feel. Love the podcast. Kind regards, Ashley Orr. Thank you, Ashley. Ashley, have you met Aaron? This The hive mind is really... I know, isn't it? So weird. Yeah. Uh, both of you, I would say, if you want to... If you want to dull up or satin a gloss finish, you can, just like Ashley said, wet sand with fine grit sandpaper. Uh, 800, 1200, 1500. And if you really don't like it, um, it can be buffed back out to a gloss pretty easily. As long as you don't go nuts. You don't want to use... I wouldn't use anything less than... Uh, I, yeah, 800 would be the biggest grit paper I would use. You wouldn't go coarser than I would 800. Not, yes, that's what I'm trying to say. Thank you. I would not go any coarser than 800. So 800 followed by maybe 1,200 followed by 1,500. Um, because what you want to avoid is sanding marks. Right. You don't want it to look like a bunch of little scratches. But... Uh, Maybe even start with a thousand grit and go to fifteen hundred grit. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you, Aaron and Ashley. Thank you, Eric and Mel. I have two Les Paul questions. Why do they have binding and arch tops? That's from Bruce. Thanks, Bruce. Uh, they just do. That's how they designed them. And I guess what I would say is that Gibson. You know, the two main guitar companies from the 50s, Gibson and Fender, the two companies that really pioneered electric guitars, they were competitors, but they had very different mindsets. Right. Fender came out with really radical, for the time, really radical designs that shapes and, you know, bright colored guitars and they... uh they were kind of criticized. I've I've heard stories of you know t- them taking the early Fenders to the Nam show and people saying, "What is that? A canoe paddle?" <laughs> Gibson saw that the solid body electric guitar was a thing, but they thought, "Well, we are Gibson and we make guitars. We don't make goofy contraptions, and so our electric solid body guitars are going to look like traditional guitars because that's the kind of company we are." And so when they designed electric solid body guitars, they looked more like their acoustic counterparts. And what was popular uh, at the time was, you know, archtop guitars with binding. And so that's what they designed. And they designed that, you know, the early Les Paul was designed for a guy named Les Paul, right? Who right. would I would classify him as a jazz player. Uh although it was kind of pop at the time, right? Right. But um you know, they were just they were thinking a lot more along traditional a lot traditional lines than Fender was. They were trying to make guitars that looked traditionally 
guitar shaped and had sunburst finishes or or uh, arched tops and binding. So um, that's why. That's what I would say. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Bruce. Liz here from Emerald City Guitars, located in the heart of historic Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle, Washington. We are one of the world's premier vintage guitar shops, going strong for over 22 years. Specializing in the most rare, the funkiest, and most collectible vintage and pre-owned electric guitars, acoustic guitars, amplifiers, and more. We cater to anyone and everyone, from the guy next door to collectors and famous rock stars. Not only do we pay top dollar for used gear, we also offer trade-ins and consignment. We also have in-house repair and offer free appraisals. We have a variety of social media accounts that we post our goods daily. Find us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at EC Guitars. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and see our daily episodes of the featured Guitar Pick of the Day and Reality of Emerald City Guitars shows. Give us a call to chat in person at 206-382-0231 and visit our online store at www.emeraldcityguitars.com. All right, Eric, rate the following statement on a scale of one to five, one, one being completely agree and five being completely disagree. You ready? Yeah. I find the majority of the customers bringing me a Taylor T5 for a setup to be grounded human beings expecting their instruments to operate as a tangible tool, limited as all things are by the laws of (laughs) physics. That's from Kent. Oh, Kent. Kent, can I buy you a beer? (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm going to say no comment. Here's the deal, though. There's There are certain types of guitars that people bring in, and you just know. Right. You just know. Well, you know, Kent, something happened right before you emailed us this, this question. Something yeah. happened to you, and we want to <laughs> hear about it. Well, here's the thing. Here's, here's, uh, here's the thing. There are certain guitars that go along with certain personalities. And I have observed that, and that's as much as I'm going to say. <laughs> <clears throat> but I can tell, like, there are certain guitars, when people bring them to me, I already know what they're going to say. They're obsessed with certain things. They're obsessed with fret buzz. They want the action as low as possible with no buzzing, but they are very, very good at making strings buzz. See, there's different kinds of guitar players. Mm-hmm. Some guitar players are really good at, at playing music. Other guitar players are really good at making guitars buzz. Wow. Well, it's true. I don't know what to tell you. They don't know it, but their obsession with string buzz and their ability to make the guitar buzz is actually the same thing. They just can't separate it in their mind, and they, they don't realize that the way they play is a problem. You're a psychologist. Did you know that? I'm a guitar psychologist. That's what you are. Thank you, Kent. Eric, Melissa, and Child Associates. I'm normally disinterested in making a guitar into something it's not. There are humbuckers that split into single coils. Some of them do it better than others, but I don't think any of them sound better than a single coil designed to be really a good single coil. 
My question is this. What are your thoughts on single coils designed to fit in humbucker routes? Humbucker size P90s seem to be seem to have a market. My normal response to how do I get a growly telebridge sound in this humbucker equipped guitar is unplug it, put it on a stand, pull your telly off the other stand and plug that one in. I do, however, like the idea of owning fewer guitars that only make the sounds that I actually use in real life and which don't make any of the sounds that I don't actually find useful. I'm guessing I'm not the first person to throw this at you. What are the ways you've worked with this problem in the past that you felt artistically okay with? Your listeners are always interested to hear your thoughts on solutions that don't make sense based on a set of expectations you don't accept the premise of. Yeah. Can you translate that last sentence for me? Well, no, I cannot. <laughs> but what I would say, he, so he, his, the gist of his uh, email here is, what are your thoughts on single coils designed to fit in humbucker routes? Right, yeah. That's the question. Um, anytime you're putting a square peg in, in a round hole, you, you know, run into problems. So they've come up with, they've come up with pickup shapes that will fit other routes. It's kind of like, here's, here's how I view it. Honestly, I'm just, I'm just under the weather enough to give you my real honest opinion here. That's unusual. Have you ever gone to, it's not, but have you ever gone to, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and you got—they've got those delicious biscuits. Uh huh. They're fluffy on the inside, and they're nice and crisp on the outside. And you want to put some butter on it, <sighs> so you take this little packet that says butter on it, and you open it up, and what's inside is—is is not butter. It's yellow, and it's kind of delicious, but kind of not. You recognize it. You you get that what is going on here is that somebody's trying to trick you into thinking it's butter, but it's like soy lecithin or something. It's not even there's not even any dairy in it. It's yeah. like whipped soy plastic. Right. I can't believe it's not butter. Yeah. Same thing with their honey packets. You notice this? What's what's the honey? It's, it's not, not honey. honey. What is it? Yeah. Is it corn syrup? What is it? KFC? Uh, The honey, I'm not so sure. The butter, for sure. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. That's like whipped dairy product. That, it's not even dairy. Yeah, like milk solid product. So if you like P90s, <laughs> get the real thing. You don't want the country crock. Can't believe it's not a P90. You know what I mean? Yeah, but he's looking for the the single coil sound, and he has a humbucker route. What's what's the solution? I know that's what I'm saying. I'm saying if he alluded to it in his question, if you're playing a Les Paul, but you want to get some single coil tones, set the Les Paul down and pick up a Strat or a Tele or something like that. You know, there's there. There's all kinds of ways people have tried to get around this. Remember modeling guitars? That was a big craze 10 years ago. Oh, yeah. I, rem- I remember that. I'm, sh- I'm sure you do. Really well. Pretty smart Alec. What, is, what, is, what does that mean? What's modeling guitars? 
Uh, it was a guitar that looked like a looked like you got it at Walmart, but uh, it had a knob that said like you know, Strat and Telly and then Les Paul, and then you could set it to these Aww. different tones. And none of them are really dobro. Like, yeah, yeah, and it sounded like if someone played that guitar over the phone. It probably sounded like and a plug, Casio. Plugged it into your amp and like, oh yeah, I guess that's like if you played a dobro over the phone. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of what it would sound like. So yeah, I don't know. Sometimes that's all you can do. I mean, I've certainly done it. I've certainly suggested it to some people because sometimes you've got a guitar you just can't route. If you have a p, if you have. If you have a humbucker where you can tap the coil, that's a good option. You know, you can get a single coil sound that way. Hum- Humbucker-sized P90s seem to have a market, he says. And that's true. You know, they, they certainly do. And they sound mostly like P90s, I guess, but I don't know. I just, it doesn't. Does anybody get excited about a humbucker-sized P90? It just seems like an excuse. It just seems like, eh, well, I mean, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't really have the right route for the sound I wanted, so I kind of had to get this. Like nobody looks at that and goes, "Wow, oh, I bet that sounds even better than a P90." <laughs> it's shaped funny. Anyway, that's enough of that. Thanks. Sorry. Uh, greetings from Toronto. I've been enjoying your podcast a lot. Thanks for the insight on guitar maintenance and repair. You're welcome. It's great to have this info accessible. I'm excited to show you some of my builds and project instruments, but first I have a technical pickup slash repair slash wiring question. I recently bought a beautiful 335 copy. I got a good deal on it because it needs some love. The three-way toggle switch in the neck position works and sounds great. Volume and tone knobs were crackling. Contact cleaner and back and forth motion got rid of that. Bridge position originally, when I got it, had no output, but after moving the toggle switch up and down a bunch and applying a bit more contact cleaner, I'm getting signal. But the signal is weak. Low volume, but also only mostly responsive to the B and high E strings. Mostly responsive to higher frequencies. Sounds almost good when I'm playing above the 10th fret, but it's still about 25% of the volume output of the neck pickup, and it does sound like there is ground hum. Middle position on the switch almost sounds identical to the neck position, but I imagine if I charted it, there'd be some buzz and faint high frequencies mixed in. What does this sound symptomatic of? Is my pickup dead? Bad pots? Switches? Solder joints? I tried to look through the F-holes. I took a picture with my smartphone. But I couldn't really tell if there were any loose connections or easy fixes. Plus, only two of the pots and the input jack are visible from that angle. I'm submitting this via your website, so I can't attach photos. Yeah, I don't need them. Thanks for your time, and thanks for podcasting, Ben. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, uh, it sounds to me like you have a dead bridge pickup. That's what it sounds to me like. That That's exactly what a dead pickup will do. Sometimes they'll still make a little bit of noise be, just because of the capacitance going on in the, in the coil, but but it sounds like you've got a dead pickup. If you want to confirm that, um, 
and you have an ohm meter, you can uh, you can test that pickup with an ohm meter and see what it reads, if anything. Uh, the only other possibility there is you've got um, pickups that have uh, magnets stuck to the bottom, you know, like a, a lot of pickups will, a lot of the, did he say this is kind of a copy? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some of these Japanese pickups will have some ceramic magnets just stuck to the bottom, and that's how the pickup works. If those come loose, then all of a sudden you've got a pickup that won't make much noise. So you've either got magnets that fell off, which is maybe 10% likelihood, or you've got a dead pickup, which I'd say is about 90% likely. There you go. There you go, Ben. Thank you. Hi, Eric and Melissa. It's Randy. That's at L.A. Star Trek. Howdy, Randy. I'm sure I'm not alone in wanting to hear the story of how you got involved with repairing guitars and how you learned. And I'm sure you've got stories about some repair mistakes you've made along the way. As always, thanks for the podcast, and I hope my small donation helps offset some of your hosting costs. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for the donation. I do appreciate that. You know, so many people have been uh, ordering shirts and stickers and oh, yeah. and hitting the donate button. Thank you, everybody, so much for doing that. It really does help us keep, yes. keep this uh, keep this ship afloat. And uh, we are almost sold out of Fret File shirts. Wow. Yeah. So. Uh, well, let's make some more. Yeah. Keep an eye out. We're going to make some more in the next couple weeks. Uh, yeah. He wants stories about how I got involved repairing guitars. Um. I feel like I've gone into that enough on the podcast that I don't really want to. I just I'm I'm a bit under the weather and we're going to keep moving, but I appreciate it, Randy. Uh, some of the early episodes have kind of my backstory, but and I'll, I'll sum it up this way: I was just the kind of kid that would take apart radios and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, if you look at Fretboard Journal's podcast, Eric did an interview on that, and it, he goes into depth into all of his yeah almost a little bit too much depth <laughs> jason was interviewing me and goes and he kept he kept having to say yeah but can we talk about um guitars you know because i was veering off the subject sorry uh thanks randy Hi, Eric. I'm enjoying the podcast, and I have a two-part question in regards to Les Pauls. I have two LPs, a 2006-57 reissue and a 2014-59 reissue. I performed the Flame Maple mod on the 2014 where you remove the bridge studs and screw in two-inch stainless steel screws and then remove the head with a Dremel. Once I did this, I feel like the guitar sounded too metallic and less warm. After a couple of years, I decided to replace these new stainless studs with a threaded brass rod that is nickel-plated. I did this to both the 57 gold top reissue and the 59 reissue. Doing so gets you down to the mahogany, which will, which ideally will increase sustain. My 57 didn't lose sustain, but it did seem to shift the frequency that was sustaining. The 59 sounds much warmer and has killer sustain. Question number one, please share your thoughts on this pretty common LP mod. Question number two, the two LPs have different grounding wires. The 2006, I believe, has a grounding wire coming from the tailpiece stud, and the 2014 grounding wire seems to be coming from the bridge stud. They both have a little grounding hum that goes away when I touch the strings, or the bridge, or the tailpiece, or metal hardware. Did I screw up the grounding regime when I did this mod, or an earlier mod where I changed the tailpiece studs and I... 
And how would you, how would I reattach the ground wire to either the bridge or tailpiece stud on the respective guitar? Thanks for your podcast. I don't know who to ask about this. Keep it coming. Thanks, Marcus in Santa Cruz. Thanks, Marcus. Um, yeah, replacing those, uh, replacing those bridge studs with longer stainless steel screws or, or, or threaded brass is great. You know, it sounds like you felt that it made a big difference, so that's great. I don't really have much to say about it. It's not anything that I've ever done to a Les Paul. Um, on the grounding thing, uh, it, it's really easy to tell if you have a uh, if you have an ohm meter. You can really easily check this with with a uh, a volt ohm meter. So um, you can check and see if you have ground continuity from your bridge and your you know jack or the back of the one of the pots or something you know that's easy because what you're what you're what you're describing here you've got a little bit of hum that goes away when you touch the strings that's normal that's absolutely and totally normal and to me that tells me your your bridge is probably grounded because if the hum didn't go away then you'd know you'd had a problem. Or if it got worse, mm. if, if the hum got worse when you touch the strings, so now you know you've got a problem. Mm-hmm. But if you've got a little bit of hum and it goes away when you touch the strings, that's every electric guitar does that. Well, there you go. Yeah. Thanks, Marcus. Hey, Eric, I'm a songwriter from Ohio, and I play a telly that I put together from parts. The body is a Mexican Fender, and I got the neck secondhand. It's a Music Craft Fat C Profile Roasted Maple, just a super old-school 50s-feeling telly neck. I love it, but it has stainless steel frets. I personally don't mind the stainless steel frets, but I know you are not a fan as I listen to the podcast regularly. I have also heard you mention how they can destroy your tools. This thing is going to need a refret soon as I use it for everything and I can start to see some first position fret wear. What's a guy to do? I want to replace them with standard nickel frets, but I don't want to destroy Luthier's tools just from taking off the stainless steel ones. Is this neck essentially disposable? Is there any way I can retain the neck without making enemies of my local Luthiers? Thanks. Sean from Ohio. Thanks, Sean. I think I'm in a minority of Luthiers these days. Most guys will do stainless steel frets. But to get the root of your question here, um, you say you've got just a little bit of minor wear, uh, first position fret wear there. Uh, I would say if they're stainless steel, those are going to, I mean, those things really, really are hard to put grooves into. So um, I would say you, you're good to go. I don't, I, you probably don't need any service on it. If on the other hand, you just want to replace them with normal frets, like I would want to, because I don't, part of, part of my dislike of stainless steel frets isn't just that they're tough on my fretting tools. Uh, I don't like the way they sound. They, they sound weird to me and I can't even hardly explain it, but they sound they just have a strange overtone that I don't like. So if you just want to replace them with standard nickel f- silver frets, you know, uh, 
that's easy to do because pulling those stainless steel frets won't destroy a luthier's tools. It's cutting them and shaping them that is the problem. It's, in, it's installing them is the problem. Removing them is no big deal at all and shouldn't be for anybody. I cannot imagine any luthier, even the most diehard anti-stainless steel fret luthier declining that job because um, all you have to do is use your fret pullers and pull them out. It's it's not going to damage anybody's tools. So cool. smooth, smooth sailing, Sean. You're good to go, man. Hello, Eric and Melissa. I love the show. I've been playing for 30 plus years and I've owned many different types of electric and acoustic guitars. The Telecaster is by far my favorite solid body guitar. Hey, me too. I recently acquired a 1992 made in Japan 52 reissue Telecaster and I love it. It is everything I need or want out of a Telecaster. My question is in regards to the tuners. This is the first time I have ever owned a guitar with Klusen-style tuners where the string is inserted into the peg instead of through it. So far, I love this design. Why did Fender get away from this style of tuner? Why don't you see these on more modern instruments and instruments of other makers? Thank you, Chris from Portland, Oregon. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Yeah, I like those too. It's called the Safety Post. Uh, And... That was pioneered way before um, Fender started using them. I think it was that th- those were invented back in the 30s. You, you see them on, on old lap steels, the safety post tuners. Uh, <clears throat> and I don't know why. I don't know why other makers don't really use them. And Fender did get away from them on some models, but on, on a lot of their... Uh, on a lot of their custom shop and higher end models, you still see those. They still use them. They still use the safety post tuner. So Fender still uses them, and other companies do use them sometimes. But I don't know why it 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 really only ever caught on with Fender. I mean, they're absolutely associated with Fender to the point that you'd almost think it was a Fender invention, but it wasn't. It was, uh, to my knowledge, invented in and pioneered by Cluson, and they used it as early as the 30s. Cool. Thanks, Chris. Hey, Eric and Melissa. Hope all is well. My U.S. Fender Telecaster has a buzz that stops as soon as I touch the strings Uh or any other metal part in the guitar. Hive mind. Yeah. So I assume it's not a grounding issue. I assume it's a grounding issue, not a single pickup issue. The pickups are properly grounded to a volume pot. Is there any solution to this? I know some guitar have some guitars have ground wire to the bridge. Is this something a telly should have? If so, how do I wire it? Many thanks, Gustavo from Boston. P.S. I just ordered a set of stickers from the show, and they are super cool. Right on, thanks, Gustavo. Yeah, you can you can order stickers, t-shirts, uh, right there from fretfiles.com if you're curious about that. Uh, yeah, so. If it's got some buzz, it stops as soon as, as you touch the strings. That's normal. And it sounds like your bridge is grounded because uh, otherwise you'd have the opposite problem where you you touch the strings and the buzz would still be there. Um, <coughs> most Telecaster-style guitars... Is that what he says he has? Yeah, Fender Telecaster. 
uh, most Telecasters, the bridge is grounded by way of the pickup base plate. Mm-hmm. The pickup on the bridge, the bridge pickup of a Telecaster has a base plate that is grounded, and then the screws pass through it, and by doing so, make contact with both the bridge and the base plate, and therefore ground the bridge, which also grounds the strings. Sometimes you run into a uh, a Telecaster-style bridge pickup that doesn't have a base plate. And if you ever have that, then you have to run a wire, uh, basically, to the bridge. So... That's the only time you have to run a ground wire to the bridge of a Telecaster is if you're using a pickup that doesn't have a grounded base plate. But it sounds to me like your bridge is grounded because of how you described it. So I think you're good to go. Anyhow, that does it for this episode of the Fret Files podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. And uh, we do encourage you to participate. You can do so by going to my website, ericdaw.com that's E-R-I-C D-A-W.com click the contact link submit your question or comment there we'll use it as part of the show the other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482 thanks for putting up with my my uh, my awful voice this evening I'm hanging in there I don't I don't, I don't feel nearly as bad as I sound but uh, I know my voice is pretty messed up but anyhow have a good night thank you good night